Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Tony Cotty, and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. You are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards and James Jones. And it's only right that we start this week's podcast with a tribute to Glenn Roder, former West Ham manager, after the sad news that broke on Sunday of his death aged 65 from a brain tumour. Glenn managed the club between 2001 and 2003 after initially being brought on board as a coach by Harry Redknapp. And the reaction to his death has been almost unique in that to a man, every tribute has spoken of his honesty and kindness to everyone he encountered after a successful first season with the West Ham when we finished seventh in the Premier League with some of the greatest players West Ham fans will remember of the modern era the wheels came off somewhat in the next year he suffered the first occurrence of his brain tumour collapsing after a game against Middlesbrough in April 2003 Trevor Brookin couldn't halt the slide and we finally got relegated to the championship Glenn did come back temporarily uh, taking charge of a few games in West Ham's first season in the championship in 03-04 but he was sacked soon after after a defeat to Rotherham. Very, very sad news to hear about Glenn's passing at the weekend. And I personally have been quite stunned by the unique reaction to Glenn's death. When people die, you often get mixed opinions uh, about people coming out, whether it's online in newspaper tributes or on the TV. But unanimously, everyone has spoken about Glenn's honesty and what a good bloke he was ultimately James and uh, Tom joining me tonight really sad news we had Papa Booba Diop die earlier in the season uh, but the outpouring of emotion after Glenn's death although uh, you know many West Ham fans boys when Glenn was appointed weren't particularly enamoured they were perhaps hoping for a big a bigger name or a bigger personality after Harry Redknapp had departed after all those successful years uh, it wasn't to be Glenn got off to a good start um, and afterwards, I think it's fair to say that that most West Ham fans look back on that period with a fair amount of of apathy and and just it was a bit of a shame how it all ended up, especially with those players that uh, Glenn had under his charge. Of course, Joe Cole, Glenn Johnson, Michael Carrick mixed in with the experience. John Moncur, as we mentioned, Trevor Sinclair, Paolo Di Canio, Freddie Canute, all these huge names, David James, big names that we remember at West Ham. But uh, James, I'll, I'll throw to you first. We've uh, 
got some great stuff coming up. Some lovely heartwarming tributes from John Moncur and Tony Carr, who played and worked alongside Glenn later in the show. But first of all, James, just some thoughts for from you to kick off the show. Yeah, no, it's, it's such terrible news and um, caught everyone by surprise uh, at the weekend. And I think, you know, you just mentioned there that a lot of people, a lot of West Ham fans will look back and uh, and rem- only really remember that that season that we ended up going down. And yeah, that was still arguably the best team that's ever been relegated from the Premier League in terms of when you look at the squad there on, on paper. But uh, it overshadows quite unfairly, actually, the job he did in that first season. And, you know, a number of injuries in that second season sort of, you know, went against him and, and the rest of the squad. But he deserves a lot more credit than uh, he actually gets or got. Uh, for that first season when we finished seventh because, you know, had some big shoes to fill in Harry Redknapp and he, he was doing a fantastic job up until that second season. So, um, so yeah, it's terrible news and, you know, thoughts go out to his friends and family and, um, as you said, the the tributes coming in since have, you know, just summed up the man that he was, you know, what a great, what a great guy. Nice, just one of football's nice guys and, you know, genuinely nice man, both inside and outside of football and um, it would be sorely missed. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I said this when I chatted to to John Moncur earlier today, boys, that, uh, you know, if if when when I die, I don't expect it to happen. But when I die, if I get half of the 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 kind messages, the kind words from people, though, Glenn was a was a football player and, and then a manager, you know, he's got a family as well. And, and he's a he's a man ultimately before any of that. And uh, the, the fact that everyone has spoken of, of his character and his honesty and, uh, and you know, what well, just what a good bloke he was. One one anecdote I read, which was particularly sort of touching to me, was that he, he always refused to do a an autobiography or a memoir because he was very good friends with Paul Gascoigne and he simply refused to profit off of anything that involved telling stories about Paul Gascoigne. And I think that tells you the measure of the man. Tom Glenn, obviously he was a, he was a player as well before his, his management career, which most West Ham fans know him for. He played for Lake Orient, Queens Park Rangers, Notts County, Newcastle, uh, Watford and Gillingham played for the England B team. Didn't quite make, the senior squad and then uh, managed almost all of those teams again, Gillingham, Watford, West Ham, of course, Newcastle, Norwich, and uh, he was a managerial advisor at Stevenage. But um, always, always sad when, when something like that happens, particularly a former West Ham manager. And you were saying, Tom, I think that was your first uh, experience. That was when you first started going to West Ham when Glenn was in charge. Exactly that. And <clears throat> No matter how anyone else remembers him, I will always be eternally thankful when Glenn Road is a name I'll remember for the rest of my life for footballing reasons. And what a way to go. People remember you for what you did in the game. My first ever game I went to was Bolton West Ham. We won 2-1 at home. I think it was Lomas or Pierce or Lomas. Both of them scored one of them last minute winner. And then the first year I had a season ticket was 0-2-0-3. And he was a big part of me falling in love with the game and falling in in love with that bug. It was a short time after a, a family tragedy in my house and, and he was a big part of the West Ham franchise, which got me over that. And um, forever, I'll forever be thankful for that. Um, and, he, and he pieced together a team which has made me be in this position today, talking on a West Ham podcast and fell in love with the game and given me something to 
turn my life towards and working his career to and he and he is certainly a part of that so yeah what well, yeah and all the tributes coming out I never knew him personally and didn't hear too much of him inside the game but he's clearly a brilliant bloke and, and he definitely is a big part of giving me the football bug so rest in peace to Glenn Roder and I hope all his family get through this and uh, they're all okay and come out the other end. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, I do, you mentioned it there. You forget, Glenn Roder, Broder bought my all-time favourite West Ham player to the club in in Thomas Repka. He also bought Don Hutchinson back. Um, I think he was a bit unfortunate when Don was was quite injured quite a lot in that campaign where we went down. But this this squad he had for the 0203 season: David James, Repka, uh, Nigel Winterburn. Uh, yeah, sorry, uh, Repka, Nigel Winterburn, Don Hutchinson, Lee Bowyer, Michael Carrick, Christian Daly, Trevor Sinclair, Jermaine Defoe, De Canio, Steve Lomas, Freddie Canute, Gary Breen, John Moncur, uh, Ian Pierce, and Scott Minto. I mean, those as well, <laughs> yeah, to, to, to Sebastian Schemmel, Joe Coles in there, Rufus Brevik, Glenn Johnson, Les Ferdinand, Richard Garcia. You know, all of these names, Anton Ferdinand was even coming through the ranks at the time, Stephen Bywater. I mean. So all of those names are iconic in West Ham fans' memories, aren't they? And, uh, you know, what a huge job that must have been for for Glenn. It was the, by far the biggest opportunity he'd had. He'd had a, a coaching role with Glenn Hoddle at England before coming to West Ham. But, you know, it was before he managed Newcastle. That West Ham job was before that. And for a man of, of his, uh, from the outside, fairly quiet temperament, a lot of people saying that he was a kind man in football, in a sport and in an industry that didn't have many of those. You you looked at it and I think fans did did have that feeling, didn't they? That, oh, you know, after such a character as, as Redknapp was, who epitomised, it seemed for me as a youngster coming up, similar to you, Tom, I first started going to West Ham when Harry Redknapp was the manager and he was all I knew in my formative years. I remember him getting sacked and not really understanding the concept. I was sort of 11 or or 12, I think, when he when he finally went. And, you know, I mean, and to take on that, that all of those team of, the, of absolute greats, as we've mentioned just then, the blend of, of experience and, and young raw talent. Uh, that must have been quite something. And by all accounts, as you'll hear, as everyone will hear from John Moncur later on, it was, it was something, especially in that, that second season when things weren't going well, that Glenn really, really took to heart. And uh, unfortunately, as, these, as happens with these things, it's only when people die that you hear people saying the best things about them. But uh, echo your sentiments totally there, Tom, and from everyone at the West Ham, the We Are West Ham podcast. Rest in peace, Glenn Roder. But lads, we uh, have got a podcast to get on with tonight. We'll hear from John Monker and Tony Carr, as I mentioned later in the show, with their own touching tributes to Glenn Roder. But there has been some football going on as well. West Ham United took part in the most celebrated defeat I think I've ever seen at Manchester City. Lost 2-1, first team to score at the Etihad in the Premier League, I believe, since December. Mikhail Antonio, uh, absolutely great stuff to see West Ham getting the get back in the game. But before we get onto that, I will get the reaction from James and Tom. Uh, uh, but let's just do a little bit of housekeeping, as I like to do at the beginning of the show. If you don't follow us already, do follow us on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. The link to that channel is in the description to this podcast. So just scroll down. 
on your chosen podcast platform and you'll find the link to our YouTube channel. So get over there, subscribe to that. And you can watch a lot of these interviews and chats that me and the boys have on the channel there as well. Uh, so get on over there. Also leave us a five-star review if you can. That would be really nice on your chosen podcast platform. Um, get involved in the comments on Twitter. David Sage has, uh, has taken lots of pleasure in tweeting me every week um for my i can't remember his exact words i think he said uh my uh it was, it was basically saying oh projected negativity i think that was it it was a few weeks ago when i was moaning about us not signing a striker um he was annoyed because i was saying oh well when michael antonio gets injured and fair play to david michael antonio has played every game since i said that and west ham have won three of four of them but uh yeah, and it didn't really feel uh, like it was a grown-up thing to do, to laugh at David and say, ha-ha, see, we lost at the weekend, told you I was right, especially as Antonio had scored. So hands up to me from that one. Fair play, Dave, you were right, and I'll try and stop projecting my negativity if possible, but just you wait until Antonio does get injured and we fail to yeah. score with any of our backup strikers. But if you want to get involved, you can follow us, like I said, at we are underscore West Sam. You can also follow me and the lads on our individual accounts. I'm at William Pugh underscore uh, James Jones is at by James Jones and Tom Edwards is at Tom underscore Edwards and the O in Tom is a zero. Am I right, Tom? Just Too many it... Toms in the world. Too many exactly. Toms in the world. It's a zero, yeah. Just to make it a little bit more awkward for me as part of this housekeeping. What's coming up on the show tonight, boys? Like I said, a bit of a sad one, obviously, with the news about Glenn, but we've got some City reaction next. We'll get straight into that. The interviews with Tony Carr and John Monker and their thoughts on Glenn Roder in part two. The Betway charity bet so close at Manchester City. I just needed Craig Dawson to leap like a salmon and nod one home to win my 28 to one shout for the Bobby Moore fund, but no luck. So we'll have our bets for the Leeds game. Kieran Ben from the sun is a Leeds fan as well. And he'll be joining us for the opposition view to talk about that game at the London stadium on Monday night. James Jones is the quiz master for name that game. Me and Jonesy tied at the bottom of the league on 30 points each. Whilst I this week try and eat into Tom's lead somewhat. Tom Edwards sitting at the top. 35 points. We'll wrap up with the West Ham women who travel to Chelsea in the WSL on Sunday. A daunting prospect, although the Blues do have a Champions League game against Atletico this week. So fingers crossed they will be tired. And then, as always, we will wrap up the show for another week. Say goodbye, get some final thoughts from the lads and cross our fingers and toes for next Monday's game against Leeds. So lads, loads to cram in this week as ever. A particularly sad one we've touched on on Glenn already, but we'll get to that. But something which I was expecting or in normal circumstances you'd expect people to be sad about, a defeat for your football team. But after the Man City game, it was just a lot of everyone patting each other on the back. Fans on Twitter patting each other on the back for not slagging off the players. Fans patting the players on the back for only losing by one goal at Manchester City. It was all very nice indeed, wasn't it, Jonesy? Yeah, I mean, you almost forget that we lost the game, didn't you? I yeah, think absolutely. It's, it's mad, isn't it? And it seems like every with every single game and every single week that passes, there's always another reason to 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 point out um, in terms of how far we've come this season. And I think that again, it's another example. Loads of teams will go 
to the Etihad and come away this season disappointed, but not because you know they they've they they feel though they should have taken something from the game because they've not played well. They've been battered five or six nil. Um, we come away disappointed because we feel as though we, we should have come away with something, uh, and not many teams will come away with that feeling from the Etihad this season or you know or you know beyond. So, uh, so many positives to take. Uh, the the footage of Vladimir so foul at the end of the game just just wonderful. No, you want No, it wasn't you, too much. Too much. You want you want to see it. See, just see. Get off project, the pitch. I love project, it. Project, projected negativity there again from 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 Will there. Uh, no, you, this is actual negativity. <laughs> you, you, you love you love to see it. it. It shows what it means to the players. Um, <laughs> And and you you want to see that? Would you rather him just just wander off and just go? Oh, that's just another game, isn't it? It was right. a bit much, wasn't it? He? he was down there like yeah, crying his exactly. eyes out for about two, fifteen exactly. minutes. If you'd won he, four leagues back to back in the Czech Republic, son. You'd struggle to accept losing. He's he's gone out there and he's he's put his everything into that game and he's not got anything out of it. So he's absolutely gutted, visibly upset. About the fact that we haven't taken something away from, you know, champions elect. Now I'm all for it. More players should should behave like that after a defeat. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know what? I can in my head. I was just about to go back at you then, and I thought, oh, I sound a bit like sort of it was going to come across very Mike Perry, Piers Morgany, and just go, no. Well, if he's lost, he should just get himself off the pitch. He should be, you know, he shouldn't be sitting around out there lolloping around like that and I thought oh, that sounds a bit boomery that so I'll uh, I'll keep those thoughts myself I just thought it was a bit much didn't you James I was like all right look we've no. lost no you've you've done well but we've still lost the game um just you know back in the dressing room onwards and upwards next week all this like histrionics and all that I thought it was a bit no I mean, <laughs> I like to say I can see where you're coming from but but I don't I think you're the only person that I've seen or come across since that clip f- first landed on Twitter um, that's actually got an issue with it. Like everyone's going, that's what great mentality, great mentality. That's the sort of mentality we've been crying out for at West Ham for donkey's years. And if we finally get a player that actually cares, and you're like, that's nah, too much. <laughs> no, 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 there's there's Care- a grey area between no, 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 caring. No, no, no. <laughs> what 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 you're what you're essentially saying is Sufal cares too much. <laughs> and and he should care less. So, Soufoud, <laughs> if you're listening, William Pugh wants, doesn't want you to care as much as you do. If you're listening, of course he's listening. Well, yeah, I mean, Masuaku's obviously told him about us, hasn't he? So, hmm, Exactly. Yeah. Right, okay then, James. So, do you suggest, by what you're saying there, sorry, Tom, we'll bring you into this in a minute, but I haven't had a good old-fashioned ding-dong with Jonesy for a while. So, are you yeah, suggesting that Kufal, Vladimir Soufal, excuse me, cares more than his fellow teammates who decided that the best thing to do was yeah, obviously disappointed, shake hands with their opposition and get themselves back to the dressing room for a debrief. Does, does he care more than those players? Are you suggesting that 10 players don't care enough about West Ham, unlike Sufal? And they should have all been on the floor like they just lost the World Cup final. Uh, I'm not saying they should have all been on the floor. I mean, you could, you could see they're all visibly upset. Everyone shows shows their... You know their distress and their and their sadness <laughs> in different ways, and um, Sufal on in that moment decided that head in hands and, and crouching down as if he just lost the cup <laughs> final was, was the way to react. Others dealt with it differently. Um, you know, if if you look at 
uh, Randolph's face when he comes and consoles him, he's fighting back tears there, genuinely fighting back tears. <laughs> So say what you want, but you know, that's the mentality and that's that's the behaviour I want to see from, from my West Ham team and um more of that please. But hopefully we don't need that because we just win every game from now on. Well, um, exactly. So yeah. Yeah, that's what I prefer. Just the 90 minutes before we just win the game. But Tom, uh thoughts on uh Vladimir Kufal's overly emotional showing of of grief after the game when we lost one uh, by one goal to a team who who just won their twentieth game on the spin and uh, general thoughts on the game and the world at the moment, if you please. Yeah, well, world wise, we we tick along, we tick along slowly, and this, this is definitely a highlight of the week. The coup foul thing, the sue foul thing, sorry, as I got us all on, but um, mate, he's a winner. He, he's been away. <laughs> You know what I mean, like he's used to winning. The geezer's used to winning. He's been stuck out playing Slavia Prague for the best part of eight years, wherever his career's been. He wins every other week. That's what he does. So he's not used to coming off a pitch, particularly in a game like that when they probably poured a lot of a lot of tactical analysis analysis into that. There was a lot of detail that went into the way we played, and I'll, I'll lovely sink this into the game. But we pressed so high. We showed a lot of balls in that game. That that's the most that's the bravest we've been in any game against the top six all season, which is a bit of a surprise considering it was the hardest game in the season away at Man City. Yet we pressed as high as we've ever done, and when we got the ball, we were so slick and we looked so good. And it was just a few times we we let the last, final touch let us down, or there was a few chances we could have done better with. But we just looked very good, and we deserved we deserved to come away with it. I mean, if you had someone pointing a camera at you for 90 minutes, you're probably going to find you doing something a bit weird. He's probably only down there for about 30 seconds on his haunches before he's got up. He's, he's probably catching his breath from chasing their 100 mile an hour winger that he's done for the last 90 minutes. So I think that's probably hyperbolized. But at the end of the day, I thought we put in a really good performance. And I know without trying to sound too football hipster, I thought that performance gave me more hope for going for Europe than any other performance we put in because that showed bollocks. It showed a Billy on the ball. We got out of tight spaces. We created chances against them. that I don't think many teams have for a few weeks or months. At, uh, like they, like you said, they haven't conceded for a couple months, three months now, wherever it is. So loads and loads of positives that I probably felt better about that game than I have for 90% of the other games we've had all season. It's just a shame we didn't go over the line. And don't you dare go after Sufal because he's an absolute boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, just to uh, just a quick reminder, this is rapidly becoming a, a fan's favourite feature of the We Are West Ham podcast is the Tom Edwards Jekyll and Hyde section. Uh, just before the game on the weekend, Tom Edwards on Twitter at T, uh, Tom underscore Edwards, the uh, O is a zero, go. as I've mentioned. Uh, before the game, regardless of what team we put out, today is going to be a long afternoon. Let's just hope we give a good account of ourselves. Come on, West Ham. Uh, mm-hmm. And then three three hours later, I think it was, top, top performance from us yet again. Proved we aren't a flash in the pan. Gutting not to get something uh, out of that. Thought we definitely deserved the point. But go again Monday. Viva Moyes, boys. Can't not be proud of that team. We've come such a long way under Moyes. It's exciting to see this consistency. Kufau wants to have a word of himself. Oh, sorry, no, I just... Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm, look, I, I thought it was really good. I thought we played really well. Yeah. agree with you, Tom, about being brave. Uh, I'm, I'm not quite as uh, much of a gung-ho advocate about 
just blindly going uh, attacking teams when you're away at big teams as some people are i think it's sensible to be pragmatic um but yeah i, I thought we played really well i was disappointed uh just just quickly lads then jones on the the goals themselves um manchester city's first one i think my, my dad might have been the only west ham fan uh in the world who wasn't absolutely delighted that we'd lost 2-1 at Manchester City. He was quite irate, particularly in the first goal. Uh, wasn't happy with uh, Diop, I think it was, who was marking Diaz at the back post. I mean, it's a, it is a fantastic ball from Kevin De Bruyne on a sixpence with his so-called weaker foot. Um, and then the, the second one, I think if you isolate the incident, as with any goal, I guess if you isolate it, it's a bit frustrating because you think oh, he's, he's obviously going to do that. Why aren't you marking him? Because there seemed to be that line of players who were almost waiting for the ball to be drilled across the six yard box. And then he just cuts it back and stones is in about five or six yards of space to, to smash it home. Uh, are you willing to say anything negative about the two goals we conceded? Uh, I, th I think particularly the second one, it's a soft goal to concede. Um, allowing Mares, you know, that time on the ball and to run at you, um, and then to be able to cut it back. Um, and I don't know whether they just thought it's only Stones sit, standing there all on his own in, in in the middle of the box, where they just thought we won't bother marking him because it's only Stones. Um, but the first one, as you mentioned, Kevin Bruyne's weaker foot, as it were. I mean, I, I was I was laughing at half time when the the analysis was uh, David Moyes would have been happy. With, with Kevin De Bruyne sitting there with the ball at his left foot in that position and wouldn't have seen the danger. It's like, it's Kevin De Bruyne. Like, mm. you've got to defend that ball. It doesn't matter if he's on his right or his left foot. Best midfielder in the world. Um, so, you know, the, the analysis at our time, they brushed it off and went, it was just a bit of magic from Kevin De Bruyne. But for me, it's poor defending. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just poor defending, full stop. Um Randolph got got an arm to it. Then he got he got a hand to it. But um, I think the second goal is probably the the, the worst goal that we conceded out of the two. Um, Big time. But yeah, yeah. but we, we had chances. We had chances to you know to, to draw level more than on more than one occasion. Um, and we've conceded softer goals. To be fair, this even this season we conceded softer goals. So not many complaints really. Just you know we kind of. Played into their hands on on two key you know key moments and and they you know they showed why they're you know they're, they're going to win the league this year. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. You know, I, I just think it was one of those that I didn't come away going, oh, well, those two goals were absolutely spectacular and that's just no. world class football and you're not going to beat that. It was just like, no, you know what? If we'd have conceded those against Southampton for example, I'd have probably been pretty annoyed about that because it was Manchester uh -huh. City and we only lost 2-1. Go on, Tom. No, I was just going to say, it's just probably, it's just the relentlessness of it, having to concentrate off the ball for 75 of those 25 yeah, agree. minutes. Yeah, I agree. It's just that which grinds you down. But I do agree, they were soft. Second one just annoyed me because we were there. We had the game in our, in our hands and we had chances on the break if we wanted to capitalise. And that was a bit poor. But in hindsight, I realised it's just a relentlessness of it which grinds you down. Yeah, that, that is exactly it. That's what I've written in the notes uh, before. I just put the first goal's like excellent, but it, you know, uh, but although we fell asleep slightly for the second, it is one lapse of concentration against teams like that, isn't there? There's they they knock at the door 
you know, hundreds of times more than most other teams do, don't they? Realistically, if you play mm. a Southampton, like I mentioned, you maybe have to deal with, you know, 20 reasonably probing attacks in a game. And like you say, Tom, with, with Man City, that goes up tenfold, doesn't it? And you're just, it's just wave after wave after wave. And then you put a slight little foot wrong. It's one of those I just thought that John Stone's goal was such a five out of 10 goal. It's just yeah. like bloke gets the ball out wide, runs in a bit, uh, no defenders on the open man, cuts it back, smashes it into the net from seven yards. But hey, you know, I, I think we did well to score and we did give them we did give them a good game for sure. Could have nicked a draw, which was a little bit disappointing. Um, yeah, like I say, we all joined in the party afterwards. The Leicester and Chelsea results went our way though, boys as well, didn't they? Which was uh, which was fortunate. And it, it you know, it was I just, you know, if we'd have got a point there, it would have been absolutely phenomenal, wouldn't it? I think it was a little bit one of those feelings where you think they were there, there for the taker. Was there anything else, Josie, that, that caught your eye about the uh, about the weekend that you want to talk about that I haven't covered yet, or do you think we've uh, we've done that to death now after your Vladimir Sufal loving? <laughs> um, no, I, I don't think so. I think you know we've established that you know we're disappointed that we didn't get more from a game against the best team in Europe right now, which, which shows just, you know, just how good we've been this season. And I, Tom did, did uh, mention it earlier. And I do agree with him that it's, it's a performance like that against that kind of opposition, that calibre of opposition that has proved to me and many other people that West Ham are in that race for, for at least the top six, you know, they're not there because we've been lucky or, you know, or anything like that. We deserve to be there. And we showed that actually, we're going to be in that fight until until the end. Mm. Um, Declan Rice even said it after as well. He, he, he said, "You know, we're, we're we're fighting for this, and you know, we're going to go for it." Um, great mentality as well. That, by the way, um, not too much, is, or is that too much? Big is team that, mentality. Is that, is that is that too much from Declan Rice to say that they're fighting? I'm not too sure, <laughs> um, but. But yeah, it, it, it was a performance. Yeah, okay, we didn't get anything from it, but this just showed that actually, you know, West Ham do mean business this year. You know, and we're not just you know, a flash in a pan and we're going to end up finishing 12th, which we've kind of been half thinking that we're going to do for the last six, seven weeks, haven't we, really? Um, you definitely have, Will. <laughs> I still um, do. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, that's what I've really got to say. And, you know, uh, on to the next one, uh, big game on Monday night. Um, and, you know, we've bounced back from defeats every time this season. So it'd be interesting to see how they bounce back on on Monday. Absolutely. Well, I look forward to you, Josie, regardless of the result on Monday on uh, next Tuesday's podcast saying, well, that just shows the mentality of the team, doesn't it? We lose 4-0. It just shows the mentality. It just shows the mentality. And look, one of the blokes knelt down on his knees after the game and pretended to cry and showed how much it meant to him. So that's, that's really, you know, that's what I'm about this season. Absolutely ridiculous. Tom Fabianski, one thing we haven't touched on, injured uh, before the game. I believe someone trod on his arm in training the day before. It swelled up and meant he had to miss out. Randolph stepped in. I thought Randolph was was okay, to be honest. Seemed to get a, a knock or a, a groin pull or whatever it was late in the game that infringed on his kicking somewhat. But uh, but I thought he did. I thought he did okay. Not a great deal he could have done with either of the goals, particularly. And other than that, thoroughly professional. I thought. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think um, one thing this season, I think Fabianski's expert, they've gone a bit underrated. He, he's still a top keeper. He's made a lot of big, big saves and big moments. One against Villa, the deflection, like back at home, like a lot of big moments. He's kept us in games and, and he's been very good. So I hope that doesn't go unnoticed. Randolph, there's a reason we spent money on him. And usually you see second keepers come in for free, like we did with Roberto, like we have with Adrian, like we have with other people down the past and they've ended up ultimately letting you down. Randolph, Hasn't done that, but fingers crossed we do get Fabianski back as quick as possible because he's been a big part of that. That's really solid back five that we've created. Um, but these days it helps having a Craig Dawson in front of you, an experienced Premier League pro who's got the command of that defence with an Aaron Cresso next to him and with a lot of first team football in that back four now. So I think it makes Darren Randall's jobs a lot easier. Um, but fingers crossed Fabianski's back soon and it doesn't sound like it's going to be too much of a bad one I hear. No, absolutely. Swelling down hopefully and back for the for that Leeds game, fingers crossed. Well, look, West Ham's still fourth in the Premier League after 26 games. So it has got a little bit tighter with those results at the weekend. Chelsea just a point behind us on 44 points. Liverpool two behind. Uh, Liverpool and Everton, sorry, two behind on 43. Fingers crossed get a win over Leeds on Monday night and put all that to bed and uh, stay with us because next up you'll hear from Tony Carr and John Monker, who me and the lads spoken to earlier today to pay tribute to Glen Roder. So I'm pleased to say that we are joined by iconic former West Ham United midfielder John Monker. John, thanks very much for talking us to us tonight. We've obviously spoken to you before when we were at the, in the old heady Love Sport radio days. It used to be great having you on. Uh, but unfortunately, today, the, the circumstances extremely sad uh, after the death of Glenn Roder at the weekend. You were there for the entirety of Glenn's stay at West Ham, both as his time as a coach beforehand and then obviously when he took over as manager as well, what's your what's sort of what's your main uh, memories of Glenn and and talk us through some of your experiences with him if you can. Yeah, I mean, obviously, sad day. You know, a, a great football man. Uh, I actually knew Glenn uh, long before that. Uh, in the days of when I was at Spurs with Gaza, basically, that's when I first sort of met him. Okay, uh, he was a friend of his, so I had a few sort of laughs with him. Then uh, I can remember one occasion. Glenn was actually in hospital, uh, just sort of a routine up basically, and we went to see him up there. And Gaza being Gaza drew uh, a large picture on the wall, thinking it would it would come off, and it was in one of them sort of uh, pens, you know the what the, they called the it? sharpies. Sharpies, <laughs> and they, we couldn't get it off. And I won't tell you what the picture was. But, I think uh, I think we can imagine. Exactly. So <laughs> Glenn was in the bed laughing, basically, but it become a bit of a panic when we was trying to get it off after, and, and uh, obviously we had to leave it there. A uh, little bit to the nurses <laughs> when the, the nurse come in. Uh, she had a chuckle, to be fair, but the problem was Glenn's wife and kids were coming up later, so uh, we had to get the white spirits out, basically. <laughs> So that would have been, that was in your time uh, at Tottenham, you say there, so sort of... Yeah, that would have been probably 1990. Yeah, yeah, uh, early 90s, and Glenn obviously not 
uh, arriving yeah. at West Ham until until some time later. What was um, yeah. so your experiences with him? Then obviously it's well been well documented how close he was to Gaza and lots of people. You know, he's, he, mm. he, he one of the things I read over the weekend. He refused to do any books. Uh, or a memoir or anything, because you didn't want to profit off of stories about Paul Gascoigne, and that's just one little yeah. snippet into into the sort of guy Glenn yeah. was. Everyone, all I've read uh, since since the sad news emerged is how how honest and uh, and friendly Glenn was in a world that football that that wasn't particularly like that. Certainly isn't now. I think um, nah. uh, I, I read some touching words recently that you know Glenn Roder represented the humanity. Um, that is is completely lacking in football. Was that that your? Is that sort of what you found with him as well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean that's a good way of putting it. Because uh, I mean the business can be quite ruthless. To be honest with you, uh, it, if you look at, uh, they talk about nice managers or nice players, too nice, and you know, and sometimes uh, I would say that there's a, there's a truth to that where. He's not nasty enough, you know. As a player, you talk about players with that streak, and that that can it's a it's a ruthless business, you know. Not only as a player, uh, as a manager, uh, coaches, whatever. So he was he was one of the, you know one of the nice guys to be honest with you. And mm. when he came to West Ham, obviously a good coach had a lot of knowledge. And actual fact, the first season there, we we done really well. I think we come seventh or something like that. Yeah, that's it. And and yeah, and he and he sort of amassed a good, you know. After Harry went, he had he had a decent squad, but he done really well with it. Uh, it was just a shame, I think, the second season. It just seemed to to snowball a little bit, and it was it was probably one of the best squads. Well, was for me anyway, that one of the best squads that ever got relegated. Yeah, of course, I've been relegated once before with a team, but not. Not to that extent with, you know, we had a team of internationals, really. And, uh, and a record points haul as well, wasn't it, to go down with 42? It's unheard of the these days, thing. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can say that that's unlucky. We probably had 42 maybe the first season I was there and we survived. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a little bit of a misfortune there. But uh, as I say, he was, he was a... a, a man that had a good knowledge of the game obviously he'd, he'd been a real football man and uh in actual fact i think he, he was a good man manager as well you know to a point so uh it's just a shame that we got relegated that year and obviously uh during that season it it, it got into hospital with a, a sort of hemorrhage i think it was something yeah. like that it was the brain tumor that was the, that was the first time it came around wasn't it the tumor i got think you. in that season yeah yeah, so that was that was sad, and, and I think it, it you know put a lot of players, a lot of players were thinking of that because we was worried about his health then. To be honest with you, so uh, that's when Trevor Booking come in, and, and we just narrowly missed out. Yeah, yeah. So did you do you think, John? You mentioned it there. Do you think that Glenn at all sort of any of the performances or the the on the pitch? Do you think uh, that perhaps it held him back that he was almost too nice, or do you not think that was that was part of it? Uh, I think that that second season there was a stress in there with him. I yeah, think him he, personally. He was, yeah, I, I noticed it a little bit. I mean, I remember going in and uh, I had a row with him. I mean, you know, it's brutally honest because that, that's the way I was. I went in there 
and I didn't start any games that year. I was 36. I was coming to the end of my career. Right. And uh, obviously we were slipping, slipping. And I said to him, listen, right, you need players like, you know, you're going to go in there and, and fight your own corner. Mm. But what I liked about him, he was honest enough to say, you're not going to start any games for me, basically. Right. Uh, you'll play a part off the bench, which I didn't play a major part anyway. But I thought, well, come out of there, at least he was honest. You know what I mean? I'd rather that than a manager. I've had managers in the past that would tell you one thing and do another. Yeah. So, but I could tell, that just looking at him, when he turned up before games, uh, he, he seemed he was under a lot of stress there and he didn't, he didn't look... I mean, that's only my personal view, and obviously that come about. But he didn't, he he didn't look too well at times, especially match days, you know. So I yeah. think the pressure of football can can have a real effect, which is a shame. Yeah, yeah. Did you? How was he sort of over your, over your time there with you, John? Because uh, I was speaking to to Tony Carhill, you know well, of course, from your yeah. your time at West Ham, and I was speaking to him yesterday about Glenn and him working. Obviously, being in charge of the youth academy had a lot to do with him, uh, and he he was sort of talking about his his man management. He came on board under Harry Redknapp, of course, just as a coach. Yeah. And Tony was saying how he'd often do under Harry do like one to one sessions or smaller group yeah. sessions with the players and all that. How did you how did you find him? Sort of uh, like how was he with you for the whole time you were there? Yeah, no, he was good with me. As I say, I knew him anyway personally yeah. from the days of Gaza, so he he was fine with me. Uh, we had a good relationship, to be honest with you. Uh, Did everyone think, feel uh, that way? Uh, yeah, I mean, he probably... I think the, the worst mistake that he made, I would say personally, was Di Canio had, had sort of give him a bad time in the press right? Uh, when he when he became manager. And... He probably needed to take a tougher stance there, maybe. But then, perhaps he was thinking, look, he's our tally's man, he's our best player. Yeah. What I'll do is give him the armband and, and you know. But how do you, how, probably, It's easier said than done, managing not just the Canio, but all those other superstars you had in the team, I guess. Well, big characters and all, because uh, that, was, that was an issue, you know. Straight away, that was an issue when you come into a club. Uh, the last thing you need is your, your top player giving you a bad press. Mm. So he had to deal with all that, and, and he dealt with it his own way. But you had big characters in the dressing room, and we was probably expecting him to take a different line of approach there. Uh, so it, 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 it's like anything. It's a ruthless business, being mm. a manager. You've got players that ain't playing that have got the raving up with you. Uh, and obviously, I, I had the needle that I wasn't playing in the second season. I didn't play loads under him anyway. Yeah, yeah. Then I sort of realised, look, I'm 36. At the end of the day, your legs are going a little bit, yeah. what not. But, so you've got to deal with, with everything. And it's hard to keep everyone happy, especially when you start basically losing a, a, a momentum. That's the, that's the thing. We were, he had a good first season. He signed some, you know, a couple of good players, and he had a good blend of youth and experience. But the second year, when it started going a bit wonky, I, I, you know, it's probably the, the pressure being at West Ham. West Ham's a massive club. Mm. People don't realise that. You know, he had managed at Newcastle, so that's another big club. But I don't think, and being from around the area, and his kids were from around the area, and all that comes a lot of pressure because. <laughs> 
the buck stops with you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, of course. So that, that, I think, are because, you know, I think he lived in Ornchurch at the time and everything else. So I could sense the pressure getting to but it would get to anyone. It would have got to me. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, sure. and someone that cares and wants to do so well and, and has got a, you know, he'd been at the club quite a few years and he's a, he was, although he was a Geordie, I think, no, he was, he was from. He, no, he was born in. Uh, he was born in Woodford, in Essex. Exactly. So he's a local lad. Yeah. He, he he obviously knew the pressure of club like West Ham. Yeah, you know? of course. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was a shame. You know, we got relegated. But but as I say he, he was a good he, he was a good manager. He used to say a lot of things that were uh, tactically, you know, decent. Yeah. And he knew how to sort of try and bring the best out in the play and whatnot. Uh, he wasn't weak because he still would have his tantrums. You know, I remember I got sent off at Macclesfield. Uh, <laughs> I forget. I got two, two yellow cards and a red. It was like Paul Daniels, the referee. I don't know how I got sent off. <laughs> in one, honestly, one incident, I got two free cards. I thought, I've never known it before. But <laughs> right. We were sort of two nil up the cruising. I had a sort of decent day and uh, he came in because I think it was only a quarter now to go so it could have gone wonky but it didn't but he still you know he still had a go at me and we had a row over the situation and again I thought yeah you know you're entitled to do that fair play so he wasn't weak it wasn't like because you know I think he that's would, he would it I think that's what he comes across like sometimes, isn't it? I think where West Ham fans, you know, I was I was guilty of it at the time. Um, you know, I was of an age where, uh, although I was born at sort of right at the beginning of the nineties, I sort of grew up uh, with West Ham as Harry Redknapp, knowing him as the manager, and uh, and then when he got sacked, it seemed, although I was still young, it seemed quite even at the time. You know, I was probably twelve or thirteen or whatever it was then. Um, yeah. It seemed like such a, a contrast in personalities. You had Harry Redknapp, who seemed to epitomise everything that it was to be West Ham manager. You know what I mean? With the sort yeah. of play, the sort of players he had on the pitch, it seemed a period of time. And I don't know whether I'm looking back with you know rose tinted spectacles or whatever, but that seemed everything seemed to represent what it meant to support West Ham. You had players like you, yourself, obviously, but then, you know, Steve Lomas, all the those sort of players yeah. who, who the fans proper loved. And then you had your Decanios as well. And, of course, the yeah. fresh, insane talent of Joe Cole, Glenn Johnson, Carrick Lampard and all that coming through. Yeah. It just seemed yeah. like, wow. And I don't know. It just... And even even today, I think, you know, as the news came out about Glenn, you could, you could tell everyone was really sad because it's a... A former West Ham manager, of course, and lots of nice words were said about Glenn, understandably. But there just seemed—I don't know—I think from a fan perspective, certainly, it was almost like it seemed like a weird fit. And even when the the yeah. first season went well, when he left, it seemed almost inevitable. Uh, was that sort of a, yeah. a feeling amongst the players? Was was you surprised so. when he was yeah, appointed? Yeah, I think the, the thing you're right there. There was a lot of talent in that dressing room. I said it. I think the second year. Looking at it, I was the only one that hadn't played internationally, really. Right, even, yeah, yeah. You know, even the likes of, I think it was Royal Fox who played for Australia. <laughs> it, well, what's his name? David Fox, I forget his name, Foxy. Right. Centre half. Right, right. Oh, Hayden Fox. Hayden Fox. Yeah, yeah. So you had a team, you know, you had some real, you had a real uh, squad of talent there. Yeah. And, and you're right, I think that 
Barry had amassed a, a good blend, you know, the likes, he made some great signings in Sinclair, Decanio, and mm. you had that sort of experience. And then he was fortunate enough to get them five youngsters that all become internationals yeah. uh, that come through. And I just think that it, it, the timing, I think as well the timing was wrong for him where the likes of Rio, I don't know, and Frank as well, they basically want, was going to move. Yeah, they you know don't. I mean? Yeah, yeah, their minds were elsewhere. Their minds were elsewhere. So then you had, you know, it just sort of snowballed that season. It seemed to snowball, and you see, you never throw the towel in. Mm. Uh, but it made, you know, he did, as I said, he made a decision to go with youth as well. Yeah. So I don't know who else was around that was experienced enough to play. Uh, I know Stuart Pierce was there and did mm. he play a part, I can't remember, but I was definitely one that was banging on the door to say, listen, we can survive here if you play some more experience. But in fairness to him, he made, he just went, no, I'm going with the youth and I think that's going to get us out of trouble. Yeah. And listen, they were fantastic players, mm. don't get me wrong. But Joey might have been sort of a little bit too young to mm. cope, Joey Cole, because he was really young when he carried. Yeah, yeah, sure. And as I say, Rio and Frank, had made their mark and it was inevitable that they was going to move on I think Pardew from my sort of life the things I remember is the Pardew spell I like I really loved Pardew as manager and again maybe I know it's all part of it with football isn't it character wise you look on the outside and he just had that bit of swagger about him that Glenn perhaps lacked but then and when Slavin come along as well the, obviously there was the magic of the last season involved in that but the football was good and you had Pyatt but other than that it yeah. is a lot of sort of mediocrity and and yeah. nothing to, you know, and those two spells in 15 years or whatever, um, it's, it's not not overly great, is it? No, and, and the thing is, it's like, I think it's very tough because to get a manager at West Ham, you know, obviously I was, today I was, I was, someone said it's two years since Billy got the, we opened the stand That's for him yeah, two yeah. years today. And I mean, for me, Bill... Bill epitomised West Ham because mm. obviously as a player he, he was different class and I signed for him. I mean, I look at, looking back, he was a major reason I signed and I was just gutted. I never had enough. You know, he went two, three weeks later. So yeah, I think I saw you, you tweet at, about that today, yeah. Yeah, like you look at, at West Ham managers and you think, oh, this, this fits, you know, like they looked to probably Glen Road and thought, listen, he's a local lad. Uh, he's a good coach. Could it work? You know, you know, it mm. fit in West Ham, and then you you go through it all. It's very tough, really, because you want someone that's come through the club, knows the club, knows the fans. You thought oh, I was so excited when Slaven was was on the up. Yeah, and yeah. Then look what happened. Is it? You know what I mean? It's very because West Ham, we expect to do well, but it's a tough business, isn't it, to be there, getting in the, you know, fighting for Europe. Yeah. So. It's a, it, you know, it's a I, real hard job. I and, think that's why he's done brilliant. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think that's why people have got so much respect for David Moyes at the moment. Cause he's got no tangible West Ham links. You know, he's Scottish. He's been up north of Everton and then United and Preston before. Not really. You know, he's got no no reason other than um, the job and the the fact that it's money and reputation building to come to West Ham in the first place. You know, and to come back yeah. again, obviously. 
unfinished business or it, it didn't sound like there was loads of people queuing up to give him a job the second time but that's why everyone's got such respect for him now but i think yeah. like you said john he's got that hard edge hasn't he it's what it yeah. seems like he's got that edge where you know that a way you say whatever to the media he plays that game really well he's experienced he's a he's a canny operator but you know that he'll go back to the training ground and you don't unlike perhaps with glenn you don't feel like Moyes is shirking it if he needs to give someone a volley or uh, no, if he needs to leave yeah. someone out of the team. He's he's sort of too wily and and used to or yeah. experienced basically to to worry about that sort of thing. Where and you mentioned obviously Glenn, but he managed West Ham before Newcastle, so it was his first big sort of step yeah. into the limelight away from. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was at West Ham. No, but that figures then, because I thought he, he was at Newcastle, then come. No, uh, Gillingham, Watford, then West Ham. <laughs> yeah, exactly, mate. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's that, 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 that actually sort of what I was my point earlier. Probably it was too big for, you know. Too big, too soon. It would soon. be too big for anyone. Yeah, you don't realise, basically, the, the pressure and that goes with it. Mm. So, you need to be, you know, thick-skinned. You know, you need to really be a good man-manager. You need to give someone a rocket and, and you know they've got to have a, it's got to be an element of fear I think uh, in a player I mean that's that's what I liked when I played uh, but it almost brings respect day, yeah but mm. you can't you can't you know just be one of them that does it all the time because then it don't have an effect so it's the balance David isn't it Moyes, yeah the balance that's right and moisey has got that I think I think he's a uh, as I say, he's one of them, you know for well you can't sort of get away with stuff. But he's a real astute, tactical sort of manager that's assembled a great squad, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, John, it's uh, been absolutely brilliant having you join us for the podcast. We do appreciate it. And we hope to, uh, we'll, we'll give you a call. We'll have you on again in a few weeks to talk about uh, West Ham and, and the bright things on the pitch. Sad uh, situation and reason to have you on tonight, of course. We appreciate you joining us. Just before we let you go, just any final thoughts on Glen Roder, who passed away on Sunday, age 65? Yeah, we're just obviously deeply sad and, and basically uh, all our thoughts go out to his family. I, I mean, he used to bring his two boys in training. They're lovely kids, they was. Uh, and he was, a, he was a good man, a real good man, so... We just all our wishes, best wishes and thoughts go to the family at this time. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much for that, John. As you say, he's a good man and, you know, although football management and playing was, was part of his life, I think when, when you die, you know, certainly if I had died and people say half of the the nice things that they uh, that people have been saying about Glenn, about the sort of person he was, then, then that's more important, certainly, than any mark he, he left on the football pitch. So, John Monker, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, we do appreciate it. We'll speak to you soon Cheers. on the We Are West Ham podcast. So, Tony Carr is joining us, former West Ham United Academy director, employee at the club's 40 years of service and included... In that, Tony, you were there and in your, your role as uh, overseeing the academy in Glenn's short time at the club. Obviously, really, really sad news coming out on Sunday that Glenn had died age 65 from the brain tumour. You worked sort of fairly closely with Glenn during your time at the club, of course. What were your yeah. main experiences of him? Yeah, first and foremost, I was quite shocked and uh, saddened to hear. I mean, completely out of the blue Sunday evening when news came through and uh, completely shocked and 
feel for him and his um, his wife and family now, obviously, because um, they're a terrible loss at such a young age. Can, you know, from that brain tumour that originally surfaced, his, his time as manager at West Ham. Yeah, but my earliest memory is when he first came to the club, really. Um, Harry Redknapp brought him in um, just as an extra coach, another body on the training pitch. And um, Glenn had uh, just recently departed his role as the England coach with Glenn Hoddle in the England setup and uh, was out of work. And uh, Harry gave him a job to come and work um, with sometimes the first team and the reserves together at that time. You know, there was always players that were sort of surplus. So they would either say to them, go and train with a youth team. or And sometimes that was a little bit demeaning for some players that weren't wanted on that particular day. So Glenn filled the gap of working individually with, with young players, you know, if they weren't required in the squad. He didn't have responsibility for a team, but he was, you know, he was coaching, you know, odd players here and there. He coached Joe Cole at a time and, and Jermaine Defoe. Now, when they were in and around the first team after they'd left the youth team arena. And um, they all speak very highly of him as a coach. Very dedicated coach, very thoughtful coach. And um, and I think that came across. You know, he was very, very caring in his and in, in, in his preparation and everything. And, um, yeah, and it wasn't didn't surprise me. He went on to do other things as manager of Newcastle, academy director of Newcastle at one point. So, yeah, very sad to, to hear that, that uh, he'd passed this week. Yeah, absolutely. What? Um, how, how closely did you work with him at the club, Tony? What was your sort of uh, day-to-day involvement with Glenn? Well, basically, um, it, it, he, was, he, was, he was employed by Harry, so he took his, his, uh, his daily routine from Harry, really. He, you know, Harry would say, I don't, I'm not going to use these players today. Perhaps you could work with them, Glenn. Or occasionally he would say to me, um, I want to take um, one, of, one or two of the young players outside this afternoon or can I borrow a couple of young players to, to make up my squad? And so we'd liaise like that. And you know, he was always very respectful uh, and uh, never undermining in any way. And um, no, we, we, we had a good working relationship together. And when he became manager, that carried on, obviously. He became the manager and I was working under him then, really. And um, although his work was cut out with the first team, um, you know, I worked, I worked under him and, 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 and he was my gaffer for a, a couple of years. He was manager. Cool, yeah. A couple of three years. I can't remember exactly how many. But yeah, yeah very uh, uh, one of the good guys, you know, no ego, not really any ego in that respect. And he wanted to do the best he could do with what he had and the role he had and threw himself into it. And um, most people that have given him tributes the last couple of days have said very, very similar things to him. They're very much of a, a gentleman, you know, in, in a not very gentlemanly game at times. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Mm. Mm. So, Tony, you mentioned there that um, Glenn had, you know, he, he helped coach Joe Cole and, 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 a, and a few other young players. Is yeah. there any... Any players sort of inside the club that you think he, he had sort of the, the, the biggest impacts on at West Ham, even as a coach and as a manager during his time at the club? Um, I don't know, really. It would be difficult for me to say, but uh, I know that you know, the bits of work he did with it, you know, it was all individual work with, 
with with uh, with Glenn. He would take the individual and just work that individual with whatever strengths or weaknesses he felt he, he needed to work on. And, um, mm. and I think they all spoke very highly of him because I think the fact that he, he gave the impression, and he obviously did, he cared about them and wanted them to get better. So they all spoke very highly of, of him in that respect. But if he, did he influence anyone in, any more in particular than any other? I'm not sure, really. I can't really answer that, to be honest, because you know, I don't really know. But I, I know they spoke very highly of him. Tony, I don't know if you got the opportunity to actually play against or with um, Glenn. You might have missed each other by a couple of years looking at the appearances. But as a player, it's gone a bit unnoticed that he actually was a, a top, top player. Played Newcastle, but had a really um, established career as a top flight pro. What what was he like back then? Was it always clear that he would go on to be a manager and he had a football brain? And what about his actual playing career? Well, this is Glenn we're talking about, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I didn't know him very much as a an up-and-coming young player. Um, I'm a little bit older than, than Glenn was. and um, But obviously, knew of him. He was an East London lad and uh, started his career at Leighton Orient. So I was very aware of who he was and what he was like. And I think he's... His reputation was that he was very reliable, very steady, uh, was, was a sort of ball-playing centre-back that could bring the ball out from the back, which wasn't the norm, you know, in his early career because it was, you know, you know, get the ball far and away from your goal as quickly as possible in, in them days for, for, for the most part. Yeah. And I might be doing some players unjustice, but that was the sort of uh, image that most sort of central defenders had. But he was a little bit more cultured and he had that step-over routine that... Uh, Everybody knew he was going to do it, but nobody knew how to stop it. He was very <laughs> clever and very quick at it, and um, so that was that was his sort of trademark, really. His, um, his, his step over when he was breaking out with the ball, he would do a step over and and, and push the ball and and, and, and be past you. But uh, no, I think his reputation was that he was a very steady, reliable centre back, and you know, and then had a good career throughout. We now went on to play for Newcastle, and uh, and obviously. Had a great affinity with the North East. Tony, we had John Moncur on earlier, who's obviously played under Glenn towards the tail end of his career, and he was quite open with us about some of the disagreements that he had with Glenn or arguments because John felt he could be, uh, you know, contributing more to that bid for survival when we unfortunately got relegated yeah. to, in the last season that, that Glenn was in charge. But John was saying, uh, you know, that's a side that that not everyone saw to him. Everyone sees him as quite a sort of, or saw him as quite a timid, kind, um, polite man. Uh, John was explaining that, you know, that wasn't always the case behind the scenes, but he said that the thing he liked most about Glenn was just how honest he was, even if he was saying uh, that, you know, news that John didn't particularly want to hear was that he was always straight up and, and that John respected that in him. Uh, I, I, I did say to John, because there is a perception, certainly among West Ham fans and all of the tributes that I've read since Glenn passed away on the weekend are that, you know, he was extremely kind and extremely honest. Exactly what you said, 
uh, just now, really, Tony, about, you know, well, why there's not too many of those perhaps in football. And I think um, one of the some of the touching words I read uh, since the weekend were that Glenn was represented one of the last pieces of uh, like decent humanity um, that, that we don't see as much in the game these days because it's such a cutthroat business. Did you did his um, persona, if you like, and personality lend itself more towards being a coach rather than a main manager, do you think? Um, I, I think that's difficult to say. Some might say that because of his outward persona. But I remember that his first season, you remember, he took over from... Um, from um, from Harry, and um, in his first season, he brought in Paul Goddard as his assistant manager, mm. and I, I think we finished seventh. Yeah, we did. Yeah, in the league, I think you know, which is a fantastic achievement in the Premier League, even allowing for the time lapse between then and now. That was a terrific achievement. And then the following season, I remember him saying to me midway through the season, we had horrendous um, injury uh, problems. We didn't have, we lost strikers. We didn't have any strikers. And he was ended up playing Ian Pierce up front. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, he, he, he was saying, "We've done nothing different on the training pitch. We've changed nothing tactically. We're the same. Obviously, all the players are a year older." Um, but he said, "We you know we you know, we can't win a game, and you know, we're at the bottom of the league." And it, it, it really troubled him because him and Paul Goddard try all different ways to turn it around, and they just felt that it was the same. Uh, they hadn't changed anything. The training was basically the same. When I say the same, not boring the same, but they hadn't changed anything drastically. And uh, he was at a loss to, to, to understand why the, the loss in form resulted us struggling for most of the season and um, and obviously culminated you know, in, in him collapsing after, I think it was the Middlesbrough game. Yeah, that's it. And, um, and I think that was the stress brought upon by the position the club were in and he took it to heart. He took it really personally. But like most managers do, you know, they, you know, if they care, you know, it's a reflection on them. And, and I think he, he was at a loss to understand that. Yeah, that, that, those those words there, you're echoing exactly what John Monker said to us earlier, just that how he he really, really cared about the job and that the, the bad results really affected him and he was often, he John felt, he could see the stress in him and that, that it was yeah. it was really getting to him and that he cared. Tony, just one more before we let you go. It's wonderful to hear from you about your experiences with Glenn. Obviously, a real sad occasion and a real shame that we're talking about him yeah. under these circumstances. But how was your what did you find his approach was uh, to the young the younger players? Obviously, that's that's your that was your realm um, and what, what you're most well known for at West Ham. Yeah. And, yeah. and Glenn was, was sort of the last manager, if you like, in charge of that golden generation that you so successfully brought through at the club with Joe and Michael Carrick, Rio Ferdinand, of course, um, and yeah. Frank Lampard, all those. Uh, Joe, yeah. and, Joe and Michael, particularly in that, in that last season, what did you make of his, his treatment of those young players? Because that is just the time when they were becoming, it was becoming obvious that they were big, big stars. No, I think uh, Glenn was... was was very very good with them because he had that affinity with uh, Michael because of his northeast connections as well. So uh, and I think Michael knew him because he was a Newcastle player prior, and Michael was a youngster was a Newcastle fan. So uh, and and I think he had a great affinity with young players. I think he, he, that was a, one one of his strengths that uh, 
you know, he, he, he was a great improver of players, and I think young and senior. Uh, and I think he looked to constantly, he look, always looked at ways of trying to improve young players. And I think um, when he got the role of academy manager at, uh, at Newcastle, I thought that role would suit him. You know, he's not quite as pressurised as the number one in charge of the, you know, the first team. And then, obviously, circumstances, he ended up being the manager of Newcastle. Yeah. So, you know, and then you can't turn those jobs down. But no. uh, certainly, I think it took its toll at West Ham. He took it very, very personally that the club uh, was struggling and eventually we did get relegated. And um, obviously, it didn't last too long after that. Uh, when we were in the second uh, or the first division as it is now the championship yeah, yeah. as it is now but uh, no um, I think it, it, I think whatever he'd have turned his mind to in terms of uh, this is going to be my career I, I think he would have been he, he would have been a success because he had that that mindfulness and that mindset uh, and, and with young players and senior players yeah. and um, just didn't get the luck when he needed it no, absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, Tony, it's it's great having you on. Great hearing from you. Someone uh, else who worked really closely with Glenn, who unfortunately yeah. died at the weekend. Just um, before we let you go, Tony, just any any final thoughts? Anything else you'd like to say to uh, the listeners? Just on just on Glenn, who sadly died on Sunday, age sixty-five. Yeah, um, taken too young. Uh, sixty-five is no age to stay an age. Uh, he'd, he'd carried that illness. I don't think you know he, he, he was expecting a recurrence of that. And sadly, a bit like Bobby Moore, uh, you know, an illness from years ago come back to haunt you. And um, and obviously, it's cost him his life. And very sad, very very sad time. And obviously, one has now deepest sympathy for his the, the people left behind for him, his family, his wife, his wife Faith, and and, and the children. Um, and I'm sure all football, not only just West Ham supporters, um, may Glen Road rest in peace. Absolutely. Tony Carr there, former West Ham Academy director who worked with Glenn, echo our thoughts completely on the We Are West Ham podcast. Glen Road rest in peace. So touching words there from both Tony Carr and John Monker played and worked alongside Glenn at West Ham. Thank you to both of them for taking the time out to give their thoughts about Glenn. And uh, as we've said a couple of times already on tonight's pod, uh, our thoughts go out to to Glenn's family. Hope they're doing okay at this tough time and uh, a rest in peace to Glenn. But lads, we've, uh, we're trying to win some. Glenn, obviously... Dying of a, of a brain tumour and we're trying to win some money this season to help uh, in fights in really good causes. All three are cancer linked, of course. James, you're playing for the DT38 Foundation for Dylan Tombides, who died from testicular cancer. I'm playing for the Bobby Moore Fund, which, of course, was set up after Bobby Moore died of bowel cancer, a disease my own dad had unfortunately survived a few years ago and Tom you're playing of course for Isla's fight who's currently in her in the middle of her battle against neuroblastoma an aggressive form of childhood cancer so it's a uh, it's a disease that that unfortunately uh, affects people's lives up and down the land all three of us will know someone close to us who's been affected um, unfortunately 
we've uh, lost people as well that we all we all know and love. The same things happened to to Glenn on Sunday, and uh, this season we've been trying to win some money to to help those charities that I just mentioned there. Thanks to a fifty pound weekly stake from Betway that we can put on a West Ham bet, a three selection bet of our choice, and any winnings from those go to those charities that we mentioned. Man City, we were. I don't know. We were unlucky. I had a goal in each half, more than eight and a half quarters, and Dawson to score any time. He got his head on one that uh, didn't really go anywhere near the net. But, um, yeah, he, he was unlucky. I don't think that was too bad of a bet. Tom, you went for a draw, which put that one out, of course. And James went for Suchek to score more than three and a half goals and both teams to score. So uh, just the one of yours coming in there. So a bit unlucky, but looking ahead to the Leeds game, Monday night, 8 p.m. kickoff at the London Stadium. Tom, I'll go to you first. What have you gone for for Leeds visit on Monday? I've gone for us to win. I've gone for West Ham to win. Both teams to score, I think. You, you pretty much expect Leeds to score when they turn up. And I've gone for Suchek score. I just fancy it's been an entertaining game and Suchek to nip one at a set piece. So fingers crossed that happens. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I think um, Leeds seem to have tightened up somewhat on uh, conceding against set pieces. We'll have Kieran Ben on next for the opposition view to chat about Leeds, whether he thinks you might be right there or not, Tom. I have gone for West Ham to win, Antonio to score two or more goals and both teams to score. I fancy Antonio after a nine day rest. He's going to be fit and firing. Got one, if I'm not wrong, at Ellen Road earlier in the season. If I am wrong, then uh, tell me I am. But, um, yeah, I, do, I just fancy it. I fancy he'll be up for the game on the weekend. I do think there, there could be goals. Um, and, yeah, like you said, Lisa score as well. Jonesy, what have you backed this week? I've gone for West Ham to win over eight and a half corners uh, and Issa Diop to get on the score sheet. He said, "Dio, the centre got on got, the centre back hype." Yeah, well, we got two set pieces against the Ellen Road, didn't we? And that's that's been Leeds' weak point all season. Is conceding at set pieces, and he got a header against Sheffield United at home in our last home game, um, or well, no, two home games ago. So yeah, no, I, I fancy biggest to to get on the score sheet again and, and win some money, and that should be some big odds. I'm looking forward to seeing what those odds are. Yeah, so uh, I am talking out my backside, by the way. Antonio didn't even play at Leeds earlier in the season. I don't know why I've got it in my head that I seem to remember him him scoring. Uh, Sebastian Haller came in. I think that might have even been his first game out after injury because we were particularly flat. And I remember being particularly frustrated with Haller on that night. But big one ahead. Uh, James, a reminder as ever. Uh, that you can if you like the sound of these bets from me James and Tom that you can back them yourself for real on the Betway website and app just go to the pre-built bet selection scroll down there you'll find we are West Ham you'll find my name James's name and Tom's name Chad from Betway lets us know the odds later in the week Jonesy uh, tweets them out on the We Are West Ham Twitter. And like I say, you can go over and back those yourself on the Betway website, if you so wish. And fingers crossed, me and the lads can pull in a few more quid for the charities this season because we're already doing really well. More than £6,000 raised between the three of us so far, including the money that Betway have agreed to doubles. Fingers crossed on that one. Stay with us because next up, Kieran Ben from The Sun, Leeds fan, to talk about that game on Monday night. 
So that was the Betway charity bets there, me and the lads. Fingers crossed we can pull in some cash for those West Ham charities this week. Delighted to say that joining us, though, for the opposition view ahead of Monday night's game at the London Stadium against Leeds is Leeds fan from the Sun, Kieran Ben. Kieran, wonderful to have you join us to look ahead to that game on Monday. It was one of our better performances at Ellen Road earlier in the season to get that win how are you uh, feeling ahead of ahead of the game monday night yeah thanks for having me mate um yeah i think um ahead of ahead of um monday i think just thinking about last time um obviously it was 2-1 and um the set pieces i think we've dried, dried up on conceding set piece goals which i think um uh you know off bonner scored from uh, ahead of last time and I feel like that has been our kind of Achilles heel this season so going into it I'm slightly confident but um, we, uh, we're we lacking uh, Calvin Phillips and Rodrigo still so it's, uh, it's going to be difficult for our point of view 11th in the league though you must be pretty happy with that so far I think uh, speaking to you earlier in the season it was one of those where you know you, uh, everyone knew Leeds were going to go out and give it a go that doesn't always always pay dividends as such but 11th you pretty happy with the uh, with the season so far yeah to be honest mate 100% i mean before the season you're thinking we're going into the premier league for the first time in 16 years what what are you meant to expect so 11th in the league is 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 i'm more than happy with it mate people are starting to talk about maybe you can push for europe at this point but there's just that what come on um we're thinking at this point just stay up and rebuild for next season get another um get get some more signings in because we signed quality not quantity at the uh at, as we come up and um i think yeah with you know injuries hopefully coming back uh for next season um you know players like robin cock haven't been really in the team and diego urente is just kind of coming back into the team but rafinha's you know absolute gold so i think um yeah can't be can't be happier really with 11th place yeah, and what what have you made um, of some of the the criticism aimed towards Marcelo Bielsa this season from some corners of the footballing community? Obviously, we we knew what to expect from him and and the Leeds team when you when you came up, but there, there has been some criticism about his style in the Premier League. Obviously, you, you're the highest scorers in the in the bottom half of the table, but have got the second worst defence in the league. Only West Brom have conceded more. Um, you know, it's it's fun to watch, but what have you made of the the, the criticism aimed towards him? Yeah, I mean, it's it's exciting, isn't it? I mean, everyone says it. I think you know, score a lot of goals and you concede a lot of goals. It's always going to make for exciting football. I think what people do forget is, considering the injuries we've had this season, you know, we bought two centre backs for a combined price of like thirty five million in the summer, both of which have basically been injured the whole season. Uh, Robin Koch had a good start and then got injured. Diego Urente has been injured until now and come into the team and looking good. So I feel like defensively, um, we've had Luke Ayling most of the time in centre-back, who's you know naturally a right-back, um, has played centre-back before, but is naturally a right-back. Liam Cooper, who's come with us for, from Chester, uh, come to us from Chesterfield and he's kind of written off by the fan base at one point and, and Bielsa's made him into a you know, starter for our team and, and he's the captain for our club at the moment. Alioski's most of the time playing left back, who's a winger. Um, naturally, you're going to concede goals when you've got a kind of a mix, mix and match defence. But um, we, uh, yeah, I think people, the criticism on Bielsa, just to come back to that bit, is I think harsh because, yes, of course, I think 
he gets a lot of praise and to be you voted the third best manager in um in the world a lot of fans of course had a bit of a problem with but i think people forget that we're playing with the same hub of you know most most matches due to injuries we're still playing with 10 players on the pitch other than Rafinha who were mid-table in the championship with us um uh, maybe Bamford came in as well but I feel like that team is now mid-table in the Premier League after just a couple of seasons under Bielsa and it I don't see how how anybody can really you know ditch his style like or um have bad opinions on his style when it's got us a league up uh, really, 20 places essentially, and now we're mid-table of the Premier League. In the summer, um, you're thinking, I mean, there's talk about players coming in. I think we, Calvin Phillips is a huge player for us, and I think we need some backup for him because when he's not in the team, um, as it doesn't look like he will be uh, uh, for Monday, um, he uh, we 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 don't play half as half half as well. So I think style-wise, I don't think anybody can really have a bad opinion on it because it's it's done such wonders for us so far. And we haven't been in the Premier League for 16 years and now we're, and now we're mid-table when people are talking about Europe. Kieran, um, I'm not I'm not proud to admit it, but I've got a bit of a soft spot for Leeds. I, I went to uni up there and I like Marcelo Bielsa, but there's one thing I've not loved this season from, from the corners of Leeds, and that is the comparisons between Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice. Um, and I want to know where you where you stand on that because um, I've seen a lot of Leeds fans talk Calvin Phillips up, and don't get me wrong, he's a he's a, a good standard Premier League footballer, and, and he's earned a place in the England squad. But Declan Rice, yeah, he's got, like England <laughs> Declan Rice had ten caps before the age of twenty one. He's West Ham's captain at the age of twenty two and twenty one. And and I want to know where you stand on that debate and what you actually think of Declan Rice yourself as well, because I've seen a lot of bitter comments about both sides, from both sides as well. You do not like that, do you, Tom? <laughs> that looks like a weight <laughs> off your shoulders then. That's, a, that's the biggest exhale I've ever heard ever. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Tom. No, it's fine. Take, take the drink as well. You, you, yeah. You, yeah. I can see it's getting... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I do. <laughs> um, look, I think... I actually think that they're different players. Um, I think people talk about it because they talk about England. I think in the England team, you can see them play in similar positions. Um, but I think Declan Rice likes to get a little bit further forward than Calvin Phillips at times. He did in the England team when he when he had his games. I think Calvin is a player who who essentially, people have said it before, he plays a quarterback position for us. If, you know, he's... I, I, we, we can go from a 4-1-4-1 and, to, and then drop into a 3-3-1-3, three, 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 uh, which is, you know... Is that even a formation? <laughs> well, it is for Bielsa. Um, and uh, and Phillips will drop into that centre-back position. Um, so he plays so deep. Um, Graham Sooner said early in the league, in early in the season, that Cam Phillips needs to score more goals. But, I, you know, he he doesn't play that position. He's more a centre-back than a, than his Cam, if you're going to compare where he should be on the pitch. Um, I think Declan Rice is a brilliant player. Like, I think he gets stick from Leeds fans because there's a comparison there. And I think the competitiveness of who's going to be the player in the England squad, if they're going to pick one of them, um, it, it comes out. I think Declan Rice um, has qualities that Calvin Phillips doesn't have. I think he's he is, um, he's got such good potential, uh, in my opinion, and this is going to sound bad from a Leeds point of view, but I think Declan Rice has got potential to be world-class. He could, I think he could fit into a one of the world-class clubs in the in in the world in a few years time maybe when he's established in his prime um i think calvin is calvin's look he's uh he's like 24 25 now and he 
he used to play in centre attack midfield before Bielsa got hold of him. Um, I think he'd, he'd admit he wouldn't be half the player he is now if it wasn't for Bielsa. Um, but he's he is brilliant, and I think I think he is almost just as good as Declan Rice. But I think Declan Rice has kind of got a bit more Premier League experience in him at the moment, um, and uh, is probably the better choice to take to uh, the Euros if I have my unbiased hat on. Yeah. I hope they take both. By the way, I hope they take both. I like both. I was just wondering, basically. They won't, though, will they? With yep. with Henderson and Rice, uh, you know, surely they won't. Henderson's the yeah, centre back now, isn't he? Yeah. So is Calvin yeah. Phillips, apparently. <laughs> True. I think the thing is, I think Calvin brings something to the team that that maybe the team doesn't have. But if Scarif Southgate's going to pick a player, basically Leeds build their whole team around Calvin Phillips. He's the most important player on the pitch. Uh, maybe Bamford as well. Um, but he 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 leads from the middle of the pitch, and if England were going to use Calvin Phillips to his best ability. You'd need him playing that CDM role that he plays for Leeds because that is the role he's been nursed into um, and can play with his eyes closed now for Leeds United. Also, the runners do everything for him. Like Rafinha, Jack Harrison, um, held Acosta when he's on the pitch. These wingers always make the same runs or are always in the same position and Calvin knows exactly where to put the ball. Um, same again with fullbacks, um, Dallas and Ailing. When they're pushing up, Calvin knows where they are. So you chuck Calvin Phillips in an England team where there's a different style and um, players are doing different things on the pitch. They want to do different kind of runs. Calvin's not gonna um, have rehearsed it as much as he had at Leeds. And I think that is something that you can maybe take a player, take a player who's been in the Premier League for years. It's much easier to do when the player's been in the championship until this season. I think it's harder to just kind of fit in and play the role um, that, that a manager is asking you to play with, with international players. Yeah. Absolutely. That sounds, uh, I think, Kieran, I'm going to give that to you. I think that's the most detailed analysis we've had in an opposition view. <laughs> was, uh, yeah, can't, can't help but love leads, mate. Outstanding stuff there. Uh, so looking ahead, Kieran, to the game Monday night, 8 p.m. kickoff, London Stadium. What are, your, what are your thoughts? How do you see the game sort of playing out style-wise? Well, pretending I haven't written any notes down. Um, we haven't won yeah. in London in 2,180-something days. Uh, so I think the last time we beat Fulham, uh, beat, uh, won in London was beating Fulham in 2015. Um, I, I think I've researched it, so I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, yeah uh, I think, I said this earlier with the Crystal Palace game when we played Palace away and we lost 4-1, I think it was. And I said the next time round, what Bielsa does is he'll study and he'll study and study and study a style, study a manager. He'll know everything about your third choice keeper, um, if, even though he doesn't need to. Um, and we can't, I said it against Palace, we'll come back and we'll, we'll destroy them. And we actually did. We actually we outplayed them the whole game. And I feel like there is a chance that we could go into the game and Bielsa will have set up in a way where he knows how he played last time and he will have tried to find a way to overturn the result that happened last time. I know I'm on a West Ham podcast right now and I feel like um, you'll probably all disagree with me. Um, but I think there's a chance. I think we've got a chance. Even though we haven't won in London so long, I think of all games, also we're not at home and our pitch is terrible. So I think that actually does us favours. Um, but I think it's a really tough game. I, I can't believe West Ham are where they are. Um, if I'm completely honest with you, I, you know, a lot of people are down for relegation and stuff, but you have you've been, I think Moyes is a shout for the manager of the season. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I can't call it 
um but i uh i hope leeds can do it <laughs> yeah absolutely well we're going to put you on the spot to call it i'm afraid so just before we let you go give us a score prediction for monday night um oh wow i'm gonna be hated uh i'm gonna go three one leeds 3-1 to Leeds, goodness me. I mean, we often get a few opposition views back in their clubs, but it's normally by the odd goal. So, uh, yeah, I mean, James, Tom, just before uh, we let Kieran go and uh, move on to name that game, what's, uh, Kieran's pretty confident his side can do a job on David Moyes' men. It's a real positive attitude, even though we lost last time out of City. Tom, I'll go to you first. What's your score prediction for Monday? Yeah, I'd be lying if I would say I'm not worried about this. They're a good side and they can hurt us. But I think it'll be 3-2 to us. I think it'll be a real classic. To be honest. I think both teams have nothing to lose but to go for it. And that's the way Leeds play. And I think we'll capitalise. 3-2 to us. Well, for the second week on a row, in a row, I feel like we're due a nil-nil. So I'm going to go for it. I think we'll end up cancelling each other out and it'll be a, a stalemate. Nil nil, and all of a sudden there'll be a bit of a few grumblings that we uh, we didn't beat lowly Leeds, even though they are eleventh. James, uh, just quickly, what's your score prediction? Well, I, I agree with Kieran that there is the danger that Bielsa is going to study us, and we'll end up being undone by that. Um, that's why I'm a little bit worried, but I can't I can't not back Leeds or back against West Ham, so I'm going to go for the same scoreline, two one, two set pieces. James is going too well. Just, just quickly, when people talk about Bielsa as if like oh, he studies other managers, as if he's some sort of genius, surely all managers it's, study other It's teams. the level. It's the level of detail and, and the level of analysis he puts in. Not just the manager, but as Kieran said, the third choice keeper that's had probably running me on the bench, but he know exactly how exactly what he does. But I really, there's, I've there's all... no manager that could get us out of that league either, mate. There's no manager that gets us out of that league. I'm just absolutely, I don't think you'll find a Leeds fan that isn't absolutely madly in love with but him. But he's a superb manager. He's, he's a superb manager. He's one of the best in the world. But I agree with Will in the sense that I do think he's one of the best managers in the world. But in terms of the analysis point, I think it's a given that every manager in top flight football, at least top two divisions, has the same level of. Scouting networks and yeah, yeah, analysis yeah, teams. I, I think he goes into more detail. I mean, how do they? But what? Like, give me an if, example. If well, everyone saw you... that um, that PowerPoint he did when they were basically we got found got found doing um, uh, Derby's training. Like the level of analysis on there was just like, mate, like, what are you doing? Like, just slow down. <laughs> just slow like, down could, a little bit. If, is there? Have you got an example of a Sorry, thing that's that's particularly unique? I think Not yeah. Not top of my head, nah. Yeah. I think um, you got. That... Sorry, mate. Conference. Go on, Kieran. Sorry. Yeah, Kieran, you go. Oh, sorry, lads. Sorry, lads. Um, uh, this is your podcast. Um, uh, no, I'm just going to say after after that PowerPoint as well. Derby went on like a six losing streak as well. So maybe maybe he did know more than everyone else. But I'd say the level, the, what makes Bielsa special is 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 Pe- I mean Pep said it, um, and Pochettino said it is his level of coaching individually, individual players doing a job better than they can do. So I think after playing a team and after knowing who's going to play what position, he'll, he'll kind of understand what team you're going to play. He said last time he wished Grealish would play because he knows how he wants his team to play against Grealish. I think coaching a player to play against, um, you know, I guess Mikel Antonio up top, they'll know exactly how he wants to play the, each player to play a different kind of game in a sense, even though it's so rehearsed what he does each game, just to improve and just to uh, get rid of little mistakes that might have happened last time. Now. I, do, I, just... 
brilliant. I do understand that. I do understand. But pe- the way people talk about Bielsa, to me, w- does not belie the fact that, I know you're 11th now, which is, is fairly reasonable, but you lost 1-0 at home to Brighton a few weeks ago, 1-0 to Wolves last week. The, the way people talk about Bielsa, it suggests to me like you're going out and just you've got the beating of teams each week. But there's plenty of times this season where I look watch Leeds and I know you play with some intensity, fair enough, but I'm just like, well, they're still a mid-table team. I just don't quite buy into the hype. I feel like it's one of those situations where everyone or everyone is saying it's like trendy to say Bielsa's good. So pundits just keep saying it because they don't want to be the one to say, uh, I'm not actually sure, but as ever, I'm uh, being brave and sticking my neck out on the uh, West Ham podcast. That's and why I'm you glad. don't get the big jobs, mate. <laughs> exactly, mate. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm. Uh, that's why I'm a few steps behind Jermaine Genus in the pecking order to present the one show at the moment. But uh, Tom <laughs> Edwards, glad to have you back in on an occasion. But Kieran, Ben, there, Leeds fan from the Sun, uh, delighted to have you join us tonight, Kieran. Uh, Kieran, going for a Leeds three-one victory at the London Stadium, but me and the lads slightly more confident than that. Stay with us, because next up, we've got Name That Game. So, Kieran, Ben there, what a detailed analysis that was from Kieran. Absolutely great stuff there. Man who loves Leeds United more than anyone else I know, to be quite honest. Him, Kieran opting for a 3-1 win, fancies uh, Marcelo Bielsa, the mercurial Marcelo Bielsa, who I still don't really understand the hype about to uh, to get the better of the Tartan Diego Simeone, David Moyes on Monday night at the London Stadium. Another man who I don't really get the hype about is James Jones, especially when he's playing Name That Game. He's quiz master this week as he sits joint bottom of the table with me or joint second, whichever way you want to look at it with Name That Game. Tom Edwards, blistering lead at the top of the table with 35 points. Me and Jonesy joint uh, bottom or second on 30 apiece. But James is the quiz master this week means he's got no chance to win any points. So any new listeners each week, the quiz master picks a West Ham game from history, collates seven pieces of information about the game, reads them out one by one. And if the boys, me and Tom, it is tonight, interrupt at any time and guess the next one before James has read it, we get a point each and that gets added to our overall total. The piece of information, our obscure fact about the game scoreline, one opposition goal scorer, one West Ham goal scorer, the stadium, West Ham's opponent and the season. If it's drawn after those uh, facts have been guessed, then it goes for tie break, which is the exact year the game took place so Josie without any further ado over to you cheers cheers mate um so the obscure facts for this game is the home team in this fixture had three players sent off oh goodness me Right, now I can okay. guarantee, I can guarantee there'll be listeners screaming at whatever device they're listening mm. to at the moment because they've already got it. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay. I'm gonna go for four nil. Incorrect. Oh. I'll go three one. 
That is also incorrect. Oh, thank God. Go on, Jonesy, what so, is the correct answer? The correct answer is 5-1. Oh. Oh. Um. Opposition <laughs> goal scorer. Uh, blimey. Okay. Have you got anything, Tom? Because you, you feel free to go first. If you, I got nothing here. Mm. I remember us getting battered. Oh, I don't know. Um, Viduka. Mark Viduka is incorrect. Oh. Uh, Alan Smith. That is correct. Oh, <laughs> he's got it. I've, I've he's given got it. it to you. I'm giving yeah. it to you. Absolutely handed me that one on a plate. He's given that uh, <laughs> one one West Ham goal scorer, Tom. Ah, uh, Tom uh, That's incorrect. Will uh, John Hartson? That is also incorrect. Who was it? Paolo. Oh. Paolo De Canio. So, stadium, please. Me? Is it? I think it's time. Um, Upton Park. Correct. Oh. One all. Leeds United. Opponent. That is correct. So, Tom, to level things up, we need the season. Um, I'm happy you said to Canio. I think that gives me a ballpark now. Um, 90, 98, 99. Wow, he's got it. He's oh, you're joking. <laughs> no. He's leveled it. Oh. 98, 99. Oh, you, I would have gone well later for that. I thought it was going to be a Glen Rhoda season. I just never heard of it. I'd never heard of that. I thought it would be Leeds because we were playing them. That's the only reason I guessed Maduka. Um, we need the tiebreak is the year that the game took place. It's me oh, it's me yeah. first, because I got the first points right, yeah? Just to clarify before I get a key. Yeah, 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 you're up. Uh, oh, right. Oh, I mean, this is a total 50-50 guess, isn't it? Um, right. Uh, I'm going to say that that season, Canio at home, 5-1. feel like it was sunny, so I'm going to go... Uh, 1999. It's correct. Oh! <laughs> Good man. Oh, it was yeah. May 1999, uh, 98-99 season. West Ham United 1, Leeds, Leeds United 5, Upson Park. We had three players sent off that day. Ian Wright, Shaka Islop and Steve Lomas all saw red. Really? Um, game. Yeah. I never knew this game. I'm not even... Yeah. Jimmy Jimmy Floyd, Ashelbank, Alan Smith, Ian Hart, Lee Bowyer, and Alf Inger Harland scored for Leeds that day. 98-99. Um, I would have... I, see, I, I would have just been... I think that might have been the year before I got my first full season ticket. So I'd go to a selection of games. Um, but yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, I, I was there. That's why, it, just, as soon as I was like, right, we're playing Leeds, that's the one fixture I always remember with Leeds because I remember more specifically, I remember Ian Wright getting sent off for a second yellow. Mm. Um, and it, I remember the fans just being 
like incensed because the referee had a bit of a nightmare. Obviously, he sent three players off, but we'd we'd also had what <laughs> were none of them legit or? Uh, I mean, I can't remember, but I'm looking at it now. I mean, we had two, four, five yellows, including Ian Wright's first yellow, uh, and then two straight reds, and then a second yellow for Ian Wright. So, a lot of cards. How early uh, were they? How early were they sent off, Jonesy? Uh, Ian Wright was sent off in the 17th minute. <laughs> two years. he was I don't know it doesn't tell us tell me what minute he was booked in for the yeah. first uh, and then Shakira's lot on 61 gave away the penalty uh, and then Lomas on 87 for a two-footed challenge I seem to remember watching that on a, a season review VHS or something oh. which I yeah uh, actually... the Premier League the Premier League have got um, the highlights and that's I've watched it back earlier um, the highlights on their website. If you just Google it, you can you can get the video. Yeah. Up. It's, yeah, it's, it's 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 quite funny. What's going Yeah, that's the sort of thing you laugh back at now, isn't it? But if you were yeah. there on the day, you'd just be like, "What a waste of my Saturday once again." <laughs> yeah. yeah, why yeah. do I do this to myself? Yeah, yeah. Oh, fair play. That was a good one, Jonesy. I like that. I think I've got a feeling yeah. it's the second Leeds game we've had. The uh, one-all draw at Ellen Road. Danny Collins' last-minute equaliser yep. was I one of the earlier one. games, which I. Uh, I enjoyed as well, but I like that one, James. Nice close game between me and Tom. Can you update us on the scores after that three-two victory for me? So that's Will. You're on thirty-three. Uh, Tom thirty-seven, and I'm sitting there down there in thirty. So I've got a little bit of catching up to do. But Tom, with those two points, extends his lead a little bit further. Um, oh, no, joking. He's just been narrowed. Yeah, o- over me. Um, that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at it going, quiet. am I going to catch 37? But um, yeah, t- uh, Will narrowed it slightly, but still four points in it. Excellent stuff, mate. Excellent stuff. Yeah, enjoyed that one. But um, we've got to move on. Let's can't dwell on uh, on the past for too long. One group of people will be looking to the future are the West Ham women and not had a game for a couple of weeks. Massive one this weekend. And I know I sound like a broken record because I know we've been saying that all season, but every game really is a must win for the West Ham women at the moment. But this one is a probably won't win. Chelsea at home, Sunday the 7th of March, 3pm kickoff for the West Ham women's section next. So name that game there, nice and close between me and Tom. Uh, one game, James, that probably won't be very close. We've mentioned it already. West Ham women still 11th in the WSL. Uh, just two points above Bristol City still. Uh, Bristol were hammered 5-0 by Chelsea last time out. The girls lost 1-0 away. A very disappointing defeat to Brighton on the 10th of February. But that is all behind us now. We've had some positive chat the past few weeks about Oli Harder. Got a chance to get behind his team. West Ham were thumped only a few weeks ago by Chelsea, of course, in the semi-final of the League Cup. And now they welcome the Blues to their home ground Sunday, the 7th of March, 3 p.m., kick off the only saving grace James I'm holding on to ahead of this game Emma Hayes team coming in with that absolutely phenomenal record that they've got the only saving grace I'm holding on to is that Chelsea have a Champions League game albeit at home against Atletico Madrid this week I think it's Wednesday night uh, that game is a big game for them obviously hopefully it'll be quite taxing do you feel that that will be enough to give the West Ham girls a chance to get anything at all out of that very daunting fixture. I think I can see where you're coming from, but I think it's clashing a little bit. <laughs> oh, it um, definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I you know. I mean, 
that we've had what two two and a half weeks rest um and i think we said last week that perfect opportunity for body harder to you know work on his team and his tactics and you know get the players behind him a little bit and but then it's all very well saying that when you come up against a team like Chelsea in the form that they're in this season, um, it doesn't matter whether you've, you've you think you've nailed it on the training pitch. You know, I mean, the work the last game he would have wanted after all that time working with his players is is a meeting against Chelsea, um, regardless of whether they played in the Champions League a few days earlier. So um, I don't think it made much difference. Their Champions League game will be a lot more rested, but then that can count against us because you know. Uh, being a little bit out of match fitness and, and all the rest of it. So it's, um, yeah, as long as they can keep the score relatively respectable. I mean, you never know. They might surprise us and, and, and win 1 0 or do what West Ham did and, and have a respectable 2 1 defeat. Uh, do yeah. what the men did at the weekend and a respectable 2 1 defeat and, and come away with a head held higher. Um, and that's all they can do, really, is, is put in a good showing and, and see what happens on the day. That, that is all they can do. Uh, Tom. The girls lost 6-0 to Chelsea in the semi-final of the League Cup only a few weeks ago. Will that be playing on their mind? Because I know, again, you, you always talk about um, the, the dizzy heights of Geasley, who you played for, and I know when I used to play, turn out for my, uh, for my local Sunday League side. If, you know, you'd, you'd played a team a few weeks before or earlier in the season and got a hiding, when you turned up on that Sunday morning or whatever and it was freezing cold, you're thinking, oh, this is the last thing I need. I, we're probably going to get tonked here. I'm going to get run around for 90 minutes, not in the mood for this at all. Do you think that defeat is going to be playing on the girl's mind? I think it, not just that defeat. I think you're right. I think definitely that will play a factor. But just to, going through the season, they've had a few hidings throughout the season. It's not just the one they've had against Chelsea. And yes, they'll be playing against the same players and likely it will play a factor in their head. It tends to be when you were a player, or well, when I used to play, fingers crossed, um, you would remember it and, and you would want to come back firing, but you'd also tend to be on the same level as the other players. Whereas I feel like, sadly, Chelsea players are in a different stratosphere to the squad we've sadly got at West Ham in a minute. I think that is evident in the WSL table. They've lost once all season and we, we've won twice. So I think that the girls need to go in there and respect who they're playing against and ultimately come away, like Jonesy said, with their respect held higher, with their heads held high, sorry, and come away with it having not been absolutely battered. I've, I've got the table here in front of me in Bristol City, thank God for that. I've heard minus 45 goal difference. We've got a minus 16. <laughs> so as long as they don't lose 29 nil, it's a decent result, to be honest. So as long as they come away from that, and um, can be in a position where they can go to the game against Birmingham, who are only two points ahead, and they're, they're not completely battle-worn like battle -worn from, from the previous weekend, then, then it's a success for me because Chelsea are just a class apart and, and it's, it's not as easy as going there and, and catch them an off day, I think, sadly. Yeah, the, the, I think the pressure just mounts up more and more each week, doesn't it? And, uh, you know, in, in, in the perverse nature of football, that's not conducive to an environment where good results come from, is it? Like with each week that goes past, each conversation we have on this podcast saying it's, it's a must-win game this weekend. And, you know, I feel like this weekend is probably a free hit, really, isn't it? I do think what the one thing I'd like to see um, is watching the game... And then the highlights back afterwards, I do not want to see 
any more goals coming down that left-hand side. It just feels like the last few weeks, everything, every time you watch it and any goals the opposition are scoring, a vast majority of them are coming from West Ham's left flank. Mas Pacheco is, he's been playing left-back uh, recently. And uh, it's just it's just frustrating. I, th- I think, you know, uh, again, if, if, if the players you're coming up against are better, fair enough. But, and yeah, Chelsea have got some great players, have got an absolutely enviable thing going on under Emma Hayes of just almost unstoppable until Brighton did it fairly recently, but yeah, f- phenomenal. And I, and I appreciate that, but what, what you don't want to see and what becomes frustrating uh, as fans is watching it and finding, just seeing the same patterns repeating themselves over and over and over again. And it's not just uh, Pacheco. I'd just like to say that uh, at, at left back, obviously definite some responsibility there as well, but it's the center halves as well with, with balls coming in from that side, whether it's a, it's a specific weakness or not, you're not sure, but you, you hope you, you mentioned it, Jonesy, that Oli Harder would have, uh, have had some time to work with him. And that sentiment, of course, it's all we can say on the podcast. And that's all very nice, but you want to see some results from it, don't you? And that is certainly something I'm looking for this weekend, is that just to see a little bit more solidity <clears throat> down that left-hand side and, and just getting a little bit better at dealing with some of those balls from out wide. Sam Kerr, it was, who who played phenomenally against West Ham earlier in the in the season. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's it. You just got to hope that um, that there's some fatigue from from their Champions League game against Atletico this week. Fingers crossed for the the girls because there's some important games coming up. Tom, I think you you mentioned it there. Um, next up is Birmingham, isn't it? Who uh, are a team who would have been who would have been in that conversation. They certainly were on this this podcast about you know that I'm saying inverted commas again teams. They should have beaten. I'm going to stop saying that now, but there's there's got to be some wins come from somewhere. Realistically, when you're looking at the two, the Birmingham game is more important than this Sunday, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the thing with WSL progressing year on year, but I think we're still seeing that there, there is a massive, massive gulf in class between the teams at the top, teams at the bottom. I think it's 39 points for the leaders and eight and six for us in Bristol or something like that. So ideally... These are games you have to target because Birmingham and us, there's not much in it. We've we're just a team low on confidence with more than enough quality to stay up. It's just we haven't turned these games into wins um, enough this season and in the winnable fixtures. And we we don't want to stay up from relying on Bristol City being poor enough to not get the games and not get the points on the board um, to keep us safe. So ideally, we go away and we'll sorry, we'll pick up the points against the Birmingham's, and that's the type of games we really, really need to start targeting, picking something up for because eight points isn't going to keep you out this season. And it's not about performances. It's not about easing someone into the managerial role anymore. It's about points on the board, or ultimately, this foray into women's football from the Sullivans would be deemed as a huge, huge failure. In it, and it's not the way to deal with. Uh, a football club just planting your son involved and, and not giving it the the care it actually deserves. So fingers crossed we get over the line. Yeah, yeah. I think I you know I think it's fair to say just on the in the interest of balance, there's been some money put in. It's different levels of cash, of course, compared to to those of, of the teams at the top, City and, and Man United have, have pour, pour significantly more money into their women's team. So as you see in the men's game, we've said it a few times this year, there's a direct correlation between money spent 
and success on the pitch. I think yeah, the Oli Harder uh, decision doesn't seem to be paying off so far, but, you know, give him give him a little bit more time, give him a few more games. Um, and fingers crossed that West Ham will still be a WSL team next season. But good luck to the girls on Sunday. That's home game against Chelsea. Three o'clock kickoff in the WSL. Stay with us because that's nearly it for tonight's show. But we'll have some final thoughts from the lads on a roller coaster show. Sad stuff with Glenn Roda. Good stuff, apparently, from most fans, especially James Jones on Manchester City and particularly Vladimir Kufau. We'll briefly, very, very briefly indeed, touch on fantasy premier league because james is doing well so we don't want to dwell on that too much and then we'll say goodbye for another week stay with us because all of that is next so what a show lads once again uh, as always happens on the we are west ham podcast we've Lucky enough to speak to two West Ham icons in John Moncur and Tony Carr, both of whom have been on our show before, be it as a podcast or back in the old Love Sport Radio days, which we miss fondly what we wouldn't all give to be sat around a studio within about two metres space of each other, breathing all our germs over each other. Remember when we were all allowed to do that? And it'd be wonderful to get back to that. Well, soon enough, lads, hopefully, once we've all been jabbed up by the end of July, if Uncle Boris is uh, to be believed. Uh, that's it, though, for another week. James, I know you want to talk about the Fantasy Premier League. I don't really feel like we should, to be honest. We're midway through a week. Uh, for a game week it's a double game week I forgot this week so uh, I assume you're happy to just just flick over gloss over the segment for for this week and catch up next week yeah I just I completely agree mate it's probably not much to say um I know a few weeks ago you thought you had the league wrapped up 120 points clear of me and me and Tom running away with it you were um now 41 points in it between between myself and uh, a new uh, I played my triple captain this week, so it's not quite the the runaway title that you thought it was going to be. So, um, but we can revisit that next week if you haven't got the time, mate. That's fine. We can carry on talking. I don't mind. <laughs> well, I'm sitting on. I completely forgot, so I've left my team in a crucial double game week where I should have played my wild card and and made the points bag bulging. Uh, started Ashley Barnes up front, Ben Me in defence, uh, Phil Foden and Cresswell Bamford. Suchek uh, and all Ben Mee's got me zero Barnes has got me zero Bamford two Foden one Cresswell one Suchek two Edison in goal which should have worked out right it's got me four so hopefully John Stones is coming off the bench if Ashley Barnes doesn't play against Leicester and I'll be on a mighty 46 points midway through it's pretty poor Tom how are you getting on uh so so but tonight I've had Gabriel Jesus, who, again, going against the grain on this one, football hipster. Um, but he's bagged me too tonight, so that should claw, claw a few more back on you. But I'm not going to pick another City player again. I'm just leaving it as it is because Guardiola's rotation system is killing me with Phil Foden on a one point in a double game week. is a real nightmare. But Vile, that, isn't it? I'm in. I'm coming. I'm coming as well with Jonesy. Watch your back. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's getting to that stage of the season where you sort of think, you know, people have uh, grown men of your age caring this much about fantasy football. It starts to come off a little bit tragic, then it? You know, I was quite enjoying it when I was winning, but it's only a, a little side, side, small part of my life. You two take it as seriously as you do, then 
that's entirely up to you, isn't it? Grown men, James is James is a father and a husband. Tom, you know, you've got some responsibilities. Yeah, you've got to keep you've got to keep your hair in check. Should we get that really small violin out as well? Because I'm beginning to hear it play slightly in the yeah. background. You know, you're, know sitting, you're setting yourself up for the defeat now, and you're going, oh, I didn't really care about it. Didn't really care. <laughs> what I'm going to do, James, if I do lose, I'm going to get on my uh, on my haunches uh, on the floor, put my head in my hands, stay there for about 20 minutes, make sure all the cameras yeah. are on me, and then uh, have a, well, you know, a Kufal style, I think they call it, doing a Kufal. Well, <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, I mean, you wouldn't, if, if Sue Fowler was playing fantasy football, he wouldn't be, be, be saying the things you're saying about not caring. He'd be beside himself. He'd be, he'd be straight in, into his spreadsheets in the morning, trying to work out the form, the stats, who to pick over who, when to play, when the best time to play the wild card, putting a reminder on his phone so he doesn't forget to do his team every week. Pre- preparation. Preparation for Sue. That man, Dave, is ready to go, ready to draft <laughs> another end. <laughs> exactly, mate. Exactly. Well, lads, look, it's been a, uh, it's been an, it's been an enjoyable show, and I do, I always enjoy it. Uh, the shows, particularly when we speak to former players or particularly iconic West Ham figures. We're lucky to have two of them on tonight. So thanks again to John Monker and Tony Carr for their touching tributes to Glenn Roder. Lads, before I say goodbye, just get some final thoughts from the two of you. Tom, we'll go to you first this week for a change. Thoughts on uh, an, an unfortunate defeat for West Ham at City. Glenn Roder's very sad passing. The fact we're still fourth uh, and the Leeds game coming up. All packed in a lot tonight. Let's just get some final thoughts. Yeah, ultimately, the, the big one, the most important one is uh, thank you to Glenn Roder and, and the life he led because it, it's led me to a passion I'll have for my whatever existence is, however lucky enough I am to be on this earth, him being a manager and he, he put a big, of, a big part of my love for the game is from him. So firstly, thank you to him and RAP Glenn. And then looking ahead, we're, we're, a, we're a really good team and we look good against City and ultimately anything from now, we won't see it. We'll be deflated if we don't get Europe. But ultimately, we've, we've improved so much. It's actually a joke. So anything from here is a bonus. But fingers crossed because we're a better team than Leeds and, and hopefully we'll get over the line because we yeah. really should. Absolutely, mate. Echo those sentiments for sure. James, just some uh, some final thoughts from you on everything uh, we've covered tonight. Yeah, firstly, see, again, just send a lock and dances to Grimrode's family and his friends. Um in terms of the football, I'm just looking forward to seeing how we react on on Monday. You know, we've already spoken about the, you know, that the disappointment at, at not getting more at the Etihad, but you know, we've we've got a big opportunities. Tom just said, big opportunity to to really push on, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing how the boys react, and I'm looking forward to seeing the heart and passion that Sufal puts in every week again because I love that. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely James Jones doesn't care what he does on the pitch just as long as he goes down with his head in his hands on the final whistle so West Ham's uh, social media team can post a load of pictures look what it means and almost get them let them off uh, after a defeat but fingers crossed we won't have to worry about that against Leeds as Jonesy mentioned there that is it though for another week on the We Are West Ham podcast just want to take the time to say thank you so much to everyone who listens and downloads this podcast every week we do have uh, pinch yourself moments 
on this show that uh, so many of you thousands of you download this show uh, all around the world in uh, in england essex london uh, wales scotland ireland uh, america north and south america new zealand australia we've honestly got uh, there's loads of you from all over the place so a special thank you uh, to all you guys for downloading do follow us on twitter if you don't already at we are underscore west ham you can find uh, me and the boys personal accounts on there as well give us a review on your chosen platform podcast platform please five stars and some nice words would be lovely and subscribe to our youtube channel uh, you'll find the link to that in the description to this podcast below so that is it from us on the we are west ham podcast this week no clever outros from me all i'll do is echo the sentiments from the boys and say rest in peace glenn Roder, who we dedicate this podcast to up the hammers everyone see you next week Hi, this is Tony Cotty, and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.